and welcome to Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast with Renee Hanvin, which is all about inspiring you to start thinking and doing disasters a little bit differently too. In this episode, I'm talking with Miriam Lum, Miriam's the Manager of Policy and Strategy from the Emergency Management Office at the South Australian Fire and Emergency Services Commission, also known as SAFECOM. I'm also talking to Sue Gould. Sue is the Program Manager of Disaster Resilience, and we're talking about statewide disaster resilience, the SA way. So a little bit about Miriam. Miriam spent six years in emergency services at the Red Cross, working in an operational capacity in disaster recovery with some of her time spent in the Philippines, where she was leading community resilience initiatives. She's worked for DFAT, managing the Smart Traveller public information campaign and supporting crisis response. Miriam has a master's in social change and development, specialising in organisational leadership and capacity building, and she's a strong commitment to influencing positive and lasting change. In her current role, Miriam develops and contributes to emergency management policy and strategy at a state and national level. She facilitates a greater focus on resilience and risk reduction through leading the development and implementation of South Australia's disaster resilience strategy. Lucky for me, alongside Miriam, I've also got Sue Gould. Sue has worked for over two decades in state and Commonwealth government in a range of community service roles in ageing, disability, education and health. Initially, she worked as a social worker, moving into strategic policy and planning with a more recent focus on service delivery reform. In 2013, Sue made the change to follow her passion and study environmental management. And in 2017, she moved into a role at SAFECOM, working to embed disaster resilience in South Australian policy directions, bringing together her community development experience and concern about the impact of climate change. So I like to start with where we met. So Sue reached out to me, I'm pretty sure it was through email or via LinkedIn, when she was working on the development of the strategy, because she heard that I was doing some work in the small business and the business space when it comes to disasters. And we had a few conversations and then I quickly decided I needed to hear a little bit more and meet these people who were doing um, developing the South Australian strategy. So I went over and we had some conversations and it was really quickly clear to me that there was a fantastic focus on businesses being inclusive to the resilience approach that was being created for South Australia. And I think it's been wonderful to connect and stay in contact and see how the strategy has progressed and then also watch how it's being activated given the disasters that we've had since. Sue and Miriam, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Renee. Thank you for having us. Hi, Renee. So let's start with who's behind the development of the South Australian Disaster Resilience Strategy. So whose idea was it that South Australia needed to think resilience? So I think there were quite a few um, triggers for us developing a state-level disaster resilience strategy. Um, As you mentioned, I'd been working at Red Cross for the six or seven years prior to coming into state government. And my role there was very focused on disaster resilience. Um, It was a relatively new thing for Australian Red Cross. We're working on developing new policies and programs that were about, you know, real community resilience and, you know, connecting up communities and getting communities involved in emergency services and emergency management. So when I came to SAFECOM, I was quite kind of passionate about disaster resilience um, and wanting to embed some of those learnings into what I was doing here. Um, And then in 2011, after the Black Saturday fires in Victoria, 
COAG released a national strategy for disaster resilience. So there was the role dedicated um, to embedding that strategy in South Australia, which I stepped into initially. And then also we'd been doing a lot of work at a zone level in the state, like doing risk assessments and identifying what our top hazards were, and then looking at risk treatment options for those hazards. So one of the top um, treatment options identified was this real need to build community and organisational resilience. So that was sitting there as well. Um, and then as most people would remember, in 2016, South Australia experienced an entire statewide blackout. Um, so following that, we had an independent review conducted um, and SAFECOM fed into that quite a lot as well. And I was speaking to Gary Burns, the person conducting the review, quite a lot about resilience um, and what, need, what needs to be done in that space. And he wrote up quite a lot in his findings, um, including a recommendation specifically about the need to develop a practical policy outcome that supports resilience. Following that, that we had a trigger to quickly develop the strategy. That was um, kind of the final trigger. And then it was my role um, to project manage that. And then we actually brought Sue in to backfill my position. So in many ways, so you've both kind of been there from the beginning in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the, yep, Stronger Together Disaster Resilience Strategy. Yeah, we have been. Yes. And I remember clearly that I started on June the 19th, 2017. And my first week, Miriam sent me to New Zealand. So I thought, wow, this is going to be an amazing job. <laughs> But I haven't been overseas since. <laughs> but it has been a good experience. Oh, well, I South Australia to... is a beautiful state, Sue. So I don't know why you'd want to be moving anyway. And I have to say, we are doing this during the Melbourne um, COVID lockdown. So I would move to South Australia in a nanosecond currently at the moment. Now, and we'd I... gladly have you. Oh, thank you. You, you might regret saying that. Now, um, can I ask you now, I have been, since I met you both and I um, looked at the strategy, you know how much of a supporter I am um, of the strategic approach that is included in it, but who is it for? So who have you written this strategy for? So we tried really hard from the outset to have it not just as a government kind of policy document. We wanted it to be a strategy for essentially everyone, potentially, um, because the whole kind of ethos around resilience is that everyone's got a role to play. You know, everyone can be doing something to build their own resilience, but also their communities or um, organisations' resilience. So we wanted a whole variety of people and sectors to have buy-in into the strategy. So that was why we decided to use user-centred design approach in the way that we developed the strategy. And I think that comes through really, really clear. So my background obviously is stakeholder engagement and a lot of the conversations I have in this space is about, you know, where is your inclusive stakeholder engagement and where is your um, strategic approach to include participation and contribution by the stakeholders that you're developing the strategy for? Because I think that's a big gap. Um, and missed opportunity in this space. So you, I mean, in the strategy, it obviously clearly states, but can you just share how, because you clearly engaged various stakeholder groups in the development of it. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up, I think we're aiming for about 150 people to contribute to it. And we ended up with well over 500. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised at, you know, we just had a really positive response. Um, 
but yeah, that was spread across um, community members to small businesses to NGOs, and then obviously the emergency management sector, you know, from state and local government um, and other agencies. So yeah, we applied the centre design framework. We intentionally um, wanted to start with a bit of a clean slate, so we didn't know what we wanted it to look like. We wanted all the ideas and um, solutions and recommendations to come from the consultation, so essentially from the users and the people that would benefit from the framework. So it was this real process about not being about just government needs, but about the user needs. And in this case, the users were in like potentially the whole of society. So it was, it was quite challenging in that sense. So we tried to um, approach this in a, a way that we, we, I guess, saw people in different settings and got to talk to different people. So for example, we did quite a bit of um, country, regional visits, and we met with groups like, um, I remember going to having a lovely afternoon at the Panola Bowls Club, a small country town in the southeast. Um, and in uh, Barrie, I just went into various shops in the main street and talked to shopkeepers. Uh, also did a trip to the APY lands and um, Miriam went to some other regional areas like Wyala and Murray Bridge. So we really tried to meet people at all different levels in all different ways that they're connecting in their community. So there's a lot I love about this strategy that you have created in South Australia. Um, and we'll come on to my forgotten stakeholder group in a minute. I'm really impressed and excited about the approach that you took to engage um, the stakeholders and also that you've activated it based on the 2011 National Disaster Resilience Strategy, which is about identifying um, the notion of shared responsibility. So what I think is so great about this approach too is that you're activating that notion of shared responsibility by engaging and inviting contribution but then also like what Miriam mentioned you're creating a solution that is relevant to and inclusive of those stakeholder groups as well now you've titled it stronger together so I could probably answer this myself but I'm not going to so why have you called it that one of the things that really became clear is the way I kind of look at it is disaster resilience and building disaster resilience is all it's a part of a system like there's so many different sectors and people and um it's involved that you know you need to look at it as a system and that rather than just focusing on what we're doing in our own agencies or in our own silo or in our own project we need to do more kind of looking outwards and across like looking not just across whole of government but also government looking really broadly outside of what other people are doing so one of the focus areas is all about having strategic and connected networks that's all about improving those connections and links between people which is something that we're really um passionate about so I guess the stronger together title is just reinforcing that that you know if we all work together on this and share what we're doing and collaborate then we'll have a much better result. It's so true and I think again I love all the work that um, Daniel Aldrich does in the social capital space and there's so much evidence to say and suggest that connected communities um, are stronger and more resilient communities. Now, in the strategy, I really like the, I guess, the overall context of your strategy. And one thing I pulled out is that you have that disaster resilience is the ability to survive, adapt and grow no matter what happens. I mean, that is so simple and it's so clear. So all stakeholder groups could understand that and see its relevance. So is this strategy for natural disasters only or does it have an all hazards approach? Yeah, so it's definitely an all hazards approach. And we knew that from the outset, but again all hazards you know in this sector can sometimes 
been <laughs> necessarily all hazards. So things like drought and pandemic are always up for debate as to whether they're included. And because we were co-designing the strategy at the start, I was trying to keep the scope, you know, kind of as open as possible. So I think where you said with the definition, you know, the ability to survive, adapt and grow, no matter what happens, we definitely landed on a definition that can encompass, you know, genuinely encompass all hazards, which I think is really important. Um, and I think when we we're doing the consultations, we found that, you know, lots of people can't relate to like bushfire is, was obviously kind of the front of mind risk um, when we were developing it. Lots of people just dismiss that and can't relate to it. So, I mean, I think if, look at where we're at now with COVID, you know, if you include any kind of disruption or shock to a society like COVID and like the blackout that we had, um, you know, gives people something to relate to and then they can understand that they need to be preparing for things like that. And I'll also just add um, one thing we found when we started to talk to businesses was it became very clear very quickly that disasters weren't on their radar. For small businesses, it was about surviving on a daily basis in the, the tough you know, economic climate. But it was also impacts of a smaller nature or local adverse events that was there that was more front of mind for them, such as small localised blackouts boiling all their frozen food stocks, or in one case, a blocked downpipe that caused a flood in a um, IT business. Um, and we heard quite a, little, a lot about where business or roadworks are in front of a business. They were disasters in the minds of some of the people we met with. So that confirmed that it needed to be broader than disasters. If you're talking about all hazards resilience and in the context of preparing and getting ready for an event, you know, if it's a bushfire or a flood or a pandemic, a lot of what you're going to do to become more resilient and to be prepared is the same. You know, so we're encouraging people to make sure they've got insurance and make sure they've got the right level of insurance. It doesn't matter necessarily what the Mm. impact is that's going to affect that person um knowing your neighbors you know things like that that are important no matter what the hazard is you know steps that you can take to be ready miriam that's like music to my ears i say that to people all the time that the majority of preparedness you can do before any type of disaster or impact is probably 80 percent the same with the 20 percent relevant to what's actually happened and people look at me like i'm from mars so i'm going to take that and i'm going to say that you said it too <laughs> when i'm talking to other people because it's not just me now yeah yes yeah well i mean another example i'll throw in is business records you know if people have it on a portable drive or backed up in the cloud, whatever happens, you know, from a fire flood through to just a blackout, they've got their information available um, so they can continue their business in general. Um, yeah, so it's very important. It is, and it's amazing how, so sometimes just those little things you don't think about can actually make the biggest difference. So, you know, having backups of your IT data or your passwords or your um, important information so that you can access if you can't get to your premises from a business perspective is, is really important and, you know, often quite overlooked in the busyness of day to day. 
Now, as I mentioned before, um, when we first connected, so you and I had a conversation because um, you were doing some work in the small business space. And I'm obviously quite vocal about the small businesses <laughs> being, dare I say it, the forgotten stakeholders. But when I started talking to you, I realized, well, South Australia is the small business place to be because you guys absolutely had them in your radar. And excitingly for me, had them a real uh, center point of your um, South Australian disaster resilience strategy. So can you share with me the four focus areas that you've specifically identified for your strategy? Yes, definitely. Um, the first one was neighborhoods and communities, and that's about informed and connected neighborhoods and communities working together. The second is children and young people uh, actively engaged in reducing their risks and increasing their self-reliance. Small businesses, it's about prepared and adaptable businesses that continue to operate during and after an emergency or disaster, maintaining their income and supporting their community. And the final one is strategic and connected networks, which is about broadening the emergency management sector and working towards shared outcomes. And I'll just add that in addition to that, there's two cross-cutting themes that we see as integral to building resilient, a resilient community. And that's diversity and inclusion and health and well-being. So they're the, the building blocks, I guess. So can I just put a recommendation there? I might just write a letter. Let's just pick you guys up and transform you up to Canberra and we'll just pop you down and you can just do it for the nation. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> well, I think now's the time to be doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Now more than ever. Yeah. I have to say, obviously, this podcast is called Doing Disasters Differently, and there's a reason I've been talking about it for a few years. But I, yeah, I think what's what's really showcasing to me, though, given, you know, the current bushfires that we've had at the start of this year and now COVID, is there's really great work and people doing really great work already. So we should just be activating that in a, in a broader scale. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to you both today and to share what you're doing in this space. Now, getting back to my focus and my little forgotten stakeholders, small businesses. So these ultimately are organisations with between zero or one up to 19 full-time employees. And obviously, resilience for small businesses is now no longer a buzzword. So resilience now is a necessity. And I, I kind of feel like resilience has to become the new skill set that every small business or every business owner learns. So what made you include small businesses specifically? So not industry or not all businesses. Why small businesses in South Australia? Well, what we found with the research we did, um, so desktop research, was that internationally small businesses had a very high rate of closed closure and then never reopening after a disaster. So that was repeated in, in a lot of documentation. Um, but also, to add to that, South Australia is, of course, the small business state. Um, at the time we developed the strategy, small businesses made up 98% of all businesses here. It might be quite different now. Um, we haven't sort of rechecked those figures, but there may have been some changes, unfortunately, uh, due to COVID and bushfires. Um, but the evidence in talking to businesses was certainly they were unprepared and their focus was, was not on preparing themselves for events. Um, I think until the, the blackout in 2016, 
it really wasn't in people's minds. It was still that, well, it won't happen to me if I just keep working, keep my business going, I should be fine. Can I ask, do you think given the bushfires, the blackout, now COVID, do you, do you think the um, openness to or the understanding towards resilience in the small business sector in South Australia is moving a bit? Yes, uh, Miriam might be able to add to this, but definitely um, we're seeing the focus certainly on the government's work in the recovery for the bushfires, the 2019-20 bushfires on KI and um, the Adelaide Hills has certainly, and now on COVID, is very much focused on um, the recovery of businesses and also um, building resilience as part of the recovery process. Um, so the work that we started doing um, was far less involvement across government in this space. We've now got a whole joined up approach from, uh, I think it's four or five different government agencies now looking at joining together on building business resilience um, for a range of events, including economic um, change through to disasters. So, yeah, it's really good. Unfortunate way to get there, but it is good. Yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, I 100% agree. You would not went to, uh, wish any type of event like what we've had in 2020 or previously in 2016 on anyone. But I guess in many ways now you're activating the Stronger Together. Yeah, it has given us the opportunity to kind of bring it to life. Um, so there's a, a team that are working on the, well, initially it was the bushfire recovery process um, in the Department of Premier and Cabinet. And the Premier actually directed that the bushfire recovery needed to take on a resilience approach and it had to be underpinned by Stronger Together. Um, and part of that role was also working to embed Stronger Together, you know, across government agencies and into their decision-making processes. That's a real positive thing. Um, and also, like Sue was saying, that our state government's focus for the um, COVID recovery is very much on, you know, the economic recovery, um, amongst other things. But, yeah, we're taking a resilience-based approach and it seems to, be, um, seems to be being embedded, you know, where it can. But I think we're still at the very kind of the very start of a long, a long process. But Miriam and Sue, that is so exciting. Like to think about, you know, you started the conversation of resilience in South Australia. And now, I mean, I often talk about why do we have bushfire recovery agencies set up after disasters when the recovery includes preparing for the next one? Because let's be honest with you, the next one's probably not far away. But how, how wonderful to have, you know, resilience, not just created as a document, but to actually be recognised and seeded across government departments and seeded into recovery processes and systems, because it's considered a real, you know, value add to the community and a need going forward. I mean, I think, you know, you should be patting yourselves on the back for that one. Yeah. And hopefully moving forward now, it will kind of set up a model where, you know, our area we're working very closely with, well, across all areas, but including like the recovery teams that are out there, you know, in the field. So my final question is always, and I'm going to ask you both these, so you can decide if you want to answer one each or two each. What would be the two things that you'd like to be done differently in the disaster space? Well, this is Sue. I might um, follow on from the, the comment you just made, um, 
Renee, about investment. So I think one of the key things is we need to keep pushing and shifting the focus of investment and time and resources from predominantly a response focus. Um, we need to look more at the risk reduction and community resilience and building that for all hazards. Um, I think that's, that's a key area that the whole of country needs to work on. Um, yeah, so we have to, we have less need to put more resources into an event after it happens. And mine's probably come through through my answers already, but mine is all about, you know, joining up what everyone's doing, working together more. I'm all about busting down silos. Um, yeah, the whole stronger together concept. So I think, you know, the more we work together, the more impact we're going to have. And the more we understand everything that's happening out there and can capture that, you know, the better we'll be able to demonstrate it as well. So yeah, joining up and collaboration. A massive thank you to Miriam Lum and Sue Gould for being part of this conversation today. Um, Miriam and Sue are from the Emergency Management Office in the SA Fire and Emergency Services Commission, also known as SAFECOM. And we've been talking to them today about statewide disaster resilience, the SA way. And I'm going to put a link to the South Australian Disaster Resilience Strategy um, on the website because I absolutely recommend that you take a look at it because I think it's really, really great. And obviously, it's having a really great impact. Thank you so much, Sue and Miriam, for talking to me today. And I can't wait, like I literally can't wait until I can get in the car or get on a plane and come over and see you again in beautiful Adelaide. So thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks Renee. That was great. Thank you. Take care. That's the end of this episode of Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast, which I hope you found to be relevant, informative and inspiring. If you're interested in participating in the conversation or to connect with me personally, please visit corporate2community.com. Until the next episode, stay safe and remember we all have a role to play in thinking differently and doing differently before, during and after disasters. Thank you.